0: Bible reading this morning is from Genesis 9, verse 8 to 11. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the, by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And if you could turn with me again to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 12. And I'm going to be reading through to verse 17. So that's Genesis chapter 9 and verse 12. Let's hear from God's word. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, many words can be spoken, but without you speaking to us. And Lord, implanting your word in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, it's all just words. And so, Father, we pray as we take a closer look at your word now and as I speak, may it be your words, Lord, and may those words be planted deep in us that would be fashioned and shaped into the likeness of Christ. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. Well, as I began putting my sermon together during the week, I found this old anonymous hymn. And and it caught my eye because, well, let me read out a section of it and you'll see why. As a sign that you are faithful and your covenant be kept, in the clouds you set your bow for all to see your promise yet. Storms may rage with fierce commotion, but when light breaks forth anew, stretched across the sky in spangles, promise shines in every hue. And friends, with those words so poetically and beautifully put, we come to the final section of of one of the biggest events recorded in the entire Bible. An event introduced to us way back in chapter 6, where having seen how great man's wickedness had become, God declared this in verse 7. I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. And so the heavens above and the springs below burst forth and sinful wayward humanity would have ended right there if not for one faithful man who found favour in the eyes of the Lord. And so God sees to it that Noah survives the waters by means of the ark. In response to this great salvation, Noah honours and worships God through a series of sacrifices on a specially built altar. And having accepted these offerings, God then makes another announcement about the ground that Noah is now standing on. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth, even though every inclination of man's heart is evil from childhood. So here we are, still going, roughly 5,000 years down the track. And as the rainbow colours are waved today by a particular non-Christian lobby group, Well, when you think about it, it acts like a visual sermon concerning this, doesn't it? Preaching to all who see it that despite the reality of human rebellion and sin, God is keeping his promise, holding back his judgment. The world, despite what it deserves, is enduring just as God said it would. And so whether they know it or not, rebels waving the rainbow actually points us not to their glory, but the glory of the one who moves towards us with kindness and love, grace and mercy despite what we deserve. But friends, how do we know that that is what the rainbow actually indicates? How do we know that this colourful arch that appears after a storm isn't simply a, a natural phenomenon with no more or less significance than a beautiful butterfly wing? What makes the rainbow something more than that? Something truly unique to all the other beautiful things that catch our eye in this world? Well, friends, the answer to that is found in the second half of God's response to Noah having accepted his sacrifice. Last week, we focused in on the first half of God's response to this, didn't we? And we saw in a virtual repeat of Genesis one twenty eight, God now blesses Noah and his family. But with the reality of sin now all pervasive, things are going to be a little different than they were in Eden. If you'd like to know more about this, have a listen to last week's sermon. But in summary, this post-flood world is now a warped version of the original. Hostility has replaced harmony. But despite this, God assures Noah the hostile effects of sin has not warped humanity beyond recognition. Our divine image-bearing status remains, verse 6. As such, the one whom Noah images will be with him and will not forsake him. And friends, God's determination for Noah to know and rest in the certainty of this is what drives God to continue his response beyond verse 7. So let's now take a closer look at this awesome and precious final word from God to Noah. Because what he says here is for us as well. So verse 8, have a look. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Now friends, before we continue, we need to be clear on what exactly is going on here. Because if we aren't, the impact of what God is doing is going to be a little bit lost on us. So looking at the verse once more, God having blessed Noah now tells him that he is going to establish a covenant with him. Now that's great, but what exactly does that mean? Because this word covenant is not one we hear very often, if at all, outside the Bible, is it? And because that's the case, we need a good solid definition before we continue. So here it is. A covenant involves a compact between two people or groups of people. And in this compact, promises are made. Now, as we know, people can make all sorts of promises to one another. So something extra is needed to make these promises binding. And that, friends, is where this word covenant comes in. Now, in a way, it is similar to a contract, except once agreed upon, the terms are agreed upon, there is no possibility for it to be ripped up. In fact, speaking of ripped up, in ancient times, once the terms were agreed upon, the two parties would then literally rip a bunch of animals in half. They would then walk in between the pieces as they made their oaths. Now, why did they do such a gruesome thing? Well, because what they were saying to one another as they walked through this was that if they broke their side of the bargain, well, the fate of those animals will be theirs as well. In other words, a covenant is something that binds and solidifies a promise, not on paper, but in stone. And so now we're up to speed, turning again to verse 8. We can see what God is saying here to Noah is pretty much about as big as it can get. As God is saying here, he is now going to bind his very existence to sinful Noah through making this covenant with him. What are the terms in which he will commit himself to Noah? Well, verse 11 makes it really clear, doesn't it? Have a look at it. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So that's God's side of this life and death compact. So what's Noah's requirement in all of this? Well, this is is where it gets even more interesting because there is no requirement here for Noah, is there? Not a single thing that God asks for him is in response, And so we have a very unique, one-sided covenant being established here. And friends, its uniqueness carries over in how this covenant is now ratified and set in stone. Rather than splitting animals in half, as it involves the weather, God now splits the clouds in half, and puts a rainbow between them. And as Noah beholds this spectacular sight, God makes sure he doesn't miss the special significance of it. This will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth, he says. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. So why is the rainbow something more than all the other beautiful things in creation? Well, because it is God's specific guarantee to preserve all creation. That's why every time the clouds break and the rainbow appears, we are to remember God's set-in-stone promise that the world will endure despite what it deserves. Now, friends, as great and as assuring as that is, world preservation... Is not all the rainbow teaches us? Because when we see it in the sky, it also lights up how God has determined to interact with sinful humanity. That is through making covenants with us. Now, why does the the, the rainbow covenant telegraph that there are going to be more? Well, because while this first one is great, all it has actually done has bought us time. But bought us time for what exactly? Well, to find that out, we need to see what God is going to do to build on this next one, to build on the rainbow covenant. And so from Noah, we fast forward now in time. And we touch down again at another very dark moment in human history. But with the earth now stable, thanks to the Genesis 9 covenant, God is now ready to establish the next one that promises a whole lot more. And so he turns his attention to another man, his name Abram. And to him he says this in Genesis chapter 12. Now, friends, while God makes a bunch of tremendous promises to Abraham here, you'll notice they are not formalized by a covenant. Nevertheless, Abraham believes this heavenly voice and off he goes with his wife and his nephew to this land that he has never seen. Having arrived, not a whole lot goes to plan. As such... Abraham starts to seriously doubt what that heavenly voice promised him. What can you give me, he says to God, since I remain childless, Genesis chapter 15, verse 2. And as this land is actually occupied, how can I know that I will take possession of it? Genesis 15, verse 8. And in response... God now solidifies his Genesis 12 promise to Abraham with a covenant. And as it is his personal guarantee that involves physical things like land and progeny, God cuts this covenant with Abram in the traditional way. If you're taking notes, jot down Genesis 15, 9 and 20 and have a look at it later on. Suffice to say, Genesis 12 is where God makes his promise and Genesis 15 is where God ratifies them in a covenant. And so God updates his guarantee from worldwide preservation to worldwide blessing. And this covenant guarantee also comes with a new sign, a new visual sign, circumcision. This mark shows that God has set aside this particular bloodline to somehow and some way bring blessing to every bloodline on earth. And so from a general covenant of endurance for the earth, rainbow, we now have a specific covenant to bless the earth, circumcision. And so we now follow those who carry this sign to see how God is going to keep his promise through them. And this journey lands us next on top of a mountain. Up there is a descendant of Abraham called Moses. And surrounding him now is a nation of descendants, just as God promised. And as they look out from that mountain, they also see the land God promised Abraham all those years ago. But before God hands it over to them, Moses tells them they must now formally enter into a covenant with God. Obedience to him in this land will secure the Genesis 12 worldwide blessing. While disobedience, like all broken covenants, will see them broken and destroyed. And friends, if that makes you a little bit nervous, it should. Because Abraham's descendants have a terrible track record up until this point. Nevertheless, they agree to the terms and God gives them the land. But no longer have they settled, wayward Israel quickly fall back to their old rebellious ways. Continually breaking terms neatly outlined by the Ten Commandments. And so the writing, as it were, is on the wall for Israel. But before God sends Babylon to destroy them, he singles out a faithful descendant of Abraham called David. Now This man is crowned Israel's king. And during his inauguration... Well, have a listen to what God says to him in Second Samuel verse seven, chapter 7. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up for you, you an offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And so before Israel is cut off, thanks to their covenant disobedience, God forms another covenant with David. The promise not simply preservation from the coming judgment, but that a king is going to rise from him. And once on his throne, his blessed reign will never, ever end. And friends, as far as covenants are concerned... That's how the Old Testament ends. Israel in utter disarray, but as we watch them disintegrate, the question is raised, what of that covenant promise made to David? Well, with that question on our lips, we turn the page to the New Testament. And the very first line goes like this, have a listen. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What is the first thing on Matthew's mind as he begins his gospel? The covenant. All the covenant promises that God has made. And it's his assertion that Jesus, son of Abraham, son of David, is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. As he titles Jesus the Christ, which means God's King. But, friends, even if all of that is true, can this one introduced here truly reverse sin's curse and bring the Genesis 12 blessing to all humanity? Now maybe you're in church this morning because you're tired, very tired of this cursed world and tired of your cursed sinful self and you want to know. Yeah, I'm glad the world endures. I'm glad the rainbow comes out after the storm. But that storm is followed by another and then another. Is there any end to this? An end that finally ends well. Because I can't see how. It's great God has kept his side of the bargain. Jesus, son of Abraham, son of David, has come. But that just doesn't change the fact that Israel, as well as all of humanity, has not kept their side of the compact. We've broken the covenant. We've broken the terms. And as we've already established, that means death. No fine print. No ifs or buts. So it's great Jesus fits the bill in the line of Abraham, in the line of David. But how does that help? For I, as a sinful covenant breaker, am still under the sentence of death. Friends, with this truth in mind, listen to what Jesus said one night to his disciples as he shared a meal with them. Picking up a cup, he spoke to them, saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the disciples All knew what covenant meant. But they were clueless as to what Jesus was talking about here. The very next day, he winds up on a cross and there he dies a bloody death. What has just happened as he hangs there lifeless? Well friends, if you asked a Jew standing there, he'd tell you straight up, this man has been stricken by God. He's under the judgment of God because as scripture clearly says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He has died the shameful death of a covenant breaker. The Thing is though, Jesus was innocent. So if he didn't die for his covenant breaking ways, Whose covenant-breaking ways was he dying for? Whose covenant-breaking death penalty was he bearing, if not his own? Well Jesus' words as he held up that cup that night before shows He knows exactly who his covenant-breaking death is for. Us. the cross, the tree will be where Jesus will take all the curses of our covenant-breaking ways on himself. But that's only half the story. Jesus said in doing this, he will establish a new covenant between us and God. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for you for many for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, if you think things are hopeless thanks to all you've done, well, look to the cross. Because at the cross, we see this one in the line of Abraham, in the line of David, paying the penalty for our covenant unfaithfulness. And in so doing, he establishes the final covenant between us and God, the covenant of forgiveness. Forgiveness. What is God's great sign to us that this covenant is agreed to by him, is true and effective and everlasting? The resurrection, that's what. God raised Jesus from the dead. The arch of the rainbow is great, but the open arch of the tomb, so much greater. The first promises Preservation of life, but the final one, eternal life. Why does God promise to keep the sinful world going? Why establish that first covenant? So, in time, at just the right time, He could finally break the storm of sin and death through the final covenant the covenant of forgiveness secured through Jesus taking our covenant-breaking consequences on himself. Are you under? Are you covered? Are you written in to this glorious final eternal covenant? the promised Genesis 12 blessing finally secured by the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God? Are your eyes now fixed on him and the new heavens and new earth that he will now most certainly bring? Or do you still have your eyes fixed on this sinful, broken world, unable to see beyond the rainbow. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for that most beautiful and wonderful second arch, the empty tomb, which signifies Jesus' covenant of forgiveness secured for us. What a wondrous thing it is to, to be brought under the blood of Jesus Christ, that wonderful covenant, an eternal covenant of forgiveness through him taking all the curses on his shoulders for us. Our Heavenly Father, what, a, what an incredible truth, what an incredible promise, what an incredible hope we have. And we thank you, Father, that it is secured not in some fanciful philosophy, but a real life, a real death, a real resurrection for us. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have drawn us to yourself and given us your wonderful Holy Spirit to assure us of these awesome truths. And Father, we pray that your same Holy Spirit would now guide us and grow us in this truth that we might live it out and share it out to others. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name.